What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the America's Pastime Podcast, Season 1, Episode 115. Jeremy and Travis here to start. Mike will be joining us for our Top 5 First Baseman Right Now segment. It's our first episode in a little while. Hope you guys had a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to all. And we had a little bit of news over this past week, usually a week where we don't get too much going on, especially with this lockout going on. But the Athletics did name their new manager. The new manager of the Oakland A's is Mark Kotze. Now, this might be a little bit surprising to some outside of the A's universe because we saw these attractive candidates for the Mets jobs, Matt Quattraro, Joe Espada. They didn't get the job because Buck Showalter did. And then we thought, okay, this is what I even said. I said, okay, maybe one of these guys will now go ahead and get the A's job. But once again, Joe Espada in particular just cannot seem to get a manager job no matter how many interviews for. He does not get the job, and Mark Kotze does. Mark Kotze was the third base coach for the A's, so they go with an internal hire and a former player at that. So they know what they like in Kotze. He's been there. He knows the team. So good for him after a pretty successful playing career. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like you said, former player. Um, and I don't think he retired too long ago, so he's pretty familiar with, uh, you know, the way things run. It's not like he retired in, you know, the mid-1900s and now he's coming back to, you know, a completely different game of baseball. So um, I always like it when um, former players um, kind of, you know, get, get uh, manager jobs just because, being a MLB manager is a little bit different from how um, a college or university team or even like a high school team, I'm not saying that any high school coach is going to, you know, wind up with a major league job, but um, it's different in the sense, I think I've talked about this before, where in college it's more routine um, and the, the coaches there are good because they can fit to a, a system and a program and they can really discipline their, their guys. Well, as a manager in the show, it's a little bit different just because you have to almost be like a friend to the guys. Um, and you have to, you connect with them a little bit different, right? You're not exactly on this pedestal of power um, that, you know, the college coaches are. So I always like seeing former players come and become, uh, managers just because they're a little bit more accustomed to this environment of um, you know interacting with the managers so they know better how to interact with players and that's not taking anything away from say bench coaches that get man managerial positions or anything because they obviously know that too it's just being a player you're in a different perspective and you see things a little bit different from how maybe a coach would as well so that's just my two cents well said well said <clears throat> Next piece of news, Cody Bellinger. Actually, this piece of news was something that happened before the lockout started, but only came out now for whatever reason. Jeff Passan had a funny little uh, Twitter storm about it, about how this happened. <laughs> we have some news. This happened before the lockout, but it's only now getting announced, being made public. And that is Cody Bellinger agreeing to a one-year, $17 million deal and there was some speculation going into the offseason that Bellinger could potentially be non-tendered. He could be traded or so on. But he stays with the Dodgers. Now, the non-tender deadline was right before the lockout happened, a couple of days. So I assume that's when this deal was actually signed. And for $17 million for a player on his second-to-last year of arbitration, that is usually a huge sum of money. But what's interesting about Bellinger is that he had $16 million going into last season, the 2021 season, and he's a Super 2 guy. He probably would have gotten a lot more money, uh, a bigger increase, a bigger raise than $1 million had he performed well the last couple of seasons, but he has not. He has seen not much success, really, since, since 2019. So... For him, it's a bounce-back opportunity, still a pretty good sum of money, and an opportunity for him to increase his value before his platform year next year. He's still very young. Yeah, you know what? Um, 
you, you mentioned there were people uh, saying that he was going to get traded or non-tendered. I, I don't think that was going to happen in a million years. If he got traded, it would be for a boatload of prospects. And I don't even think um, the Dodgers would were remotely interested in trading him. He had one bad year. Um, I know he was kind of like he had a bad second half of 2020 or whatever it was. But like I... I don't think the Dodgers are panicking. I don't think anybody in the Dodgers organization is panicking and, and thinking that, you know, Bellinger is going to, going to be terrible. Like the guy had, I think he set the Dodgers record for the most rookie home runs in his, in his rookie year or something like that. The guy can mash. <laughs> like he, he hits ridiculous, uh, like ridiculously well. And the fact that he got almost, a, well, it was a raise, you know, he's getting a million dollars more than he made um, in, in 2021 you know, I, I think that's still good for him. And, and the fact that he's making, you know, $17 million this year shows that the Dodgers are still, you know, in on him and they believe in him. And, you know, if he can turn things around, the Dodgers are going to be a force. And we saw that, like we saw glimpses of that last year towards the end of the season, he was starting to come around and, and everything like that. So um, I, I have no doubt that he's going to – he'll be fine in 2022. Um, we might not see rookie mode or rookie uh, rookie year Bellinger next year, but we'll definitely see a much improved 2021 uh, Bellinger in 2022. Yeah, Bellinger I think is going to have a nice bounce back. He can't be this bad. He, you know, he, he's such a talented player. I mean, even defensively, despite his very great – offensive shortcomings recently even uh, defensively he's still elite and if he can even be average adequate offensively then he's going to generate a lot of value and he's definitely a guy that you're going to want <clears throat> to have on your team especially for that price still arbitration eligible I think it's it's a solid gamble to an extent for the Dodgers but not really that much of a gamble when it comes down to it no Another ahead, piece sorry. of news. Yeah. Small, smaller piece of news. Jake Bowers signed a minor league deal with the Cincinnati Reds and Bowers is a guy who had some promise coming up with the Rays at just the age of 22 in 2018. But since then has bounced around a ton in 29. He was traded in 2019 to the Indians, typical Rays Indians traders, you know how they do it. Those two teams. And then he went to Seattle. I think he was traded. <laughs> he was traded to them as well. So he's been around the block with the trading with the uh, with all the trading teams, the the Rays, and then the Indians, and then the Mariners. Trader uh, was it Trader Jerry? Yeah, Trader Jerry over <laughs> in Seattle. But um, now, having been <clears throat> released, he is still only 26 years old. Still a very talented potentially talented player and he signs a minor league deal with the reds. Of course it is a lockout right now, but minor league deals can still be signed. And I think we spoke about this on the last podcast. It's one of those deals where he takes the minor league deal right now, but you would expect him to probably make the roster for the reds. Absolutely. Um, he's not going to start. I don't think unless he plays somewhere in the outfield because they got, you know, the reds have Botto at first, but I mean, I think at one point Bauer was a pretty highly regarded prospect with the Rays. Um, he was supposed to come up and be like really good at hitting as most Rays prospects are. But um, yeah, I, I just think something didn't exactly click for him. I know he, he showed signs of promise uh, with the Indians and I can pretty much almost guarantee you that if there hadn't been a lockout, he would be getting a major league deal now. Um, it wouldn't be, I don't think it would be anything like crazy I don't think it would be a crazy amount of money but I think he's kind of making a uh, business decision taking the minor league deal right now just because it might have been the only thing that was offered to him um, I'm not exactly sure what the uh, what the money the money value is of the contract but assuming he makes the major leagues he will probably receive some sort of um, raise um, I don't think he would be making the full uh, league minimum, like the MLB minimum with a minor league deal. And for, for who knows with, with these types of deals that are signed in the lockout, there might even be a incentive bonus um, for making the major leagues, right? If you make the major league roster, we'll bump up your salary from say a hundred grand to, you know, 
1.2 million or something like that. And that's what you get paid for the remainder or for the duration of the season. If you make the major league roster at a spring training, something like that. But I think he just made that from a business perspective of this is what's being offered to me. I think I'm going to take it. And like you said, I, I totally agree. I think he will make the uh, major league roster out of spring training for sure. Yeah. So best of luck to him with that endeavor. And then finally, a little piece of news. I'm actually uh, doing some, some last second research here, <clears throat> you know, stalling. Okay. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> um, so some last, so um, yeah, some news that came out regarding the trading block, Jeff McNeil, second baseman, third baseman, left fielder, right fielder, everything versatile player for the Mets had a pretty down season and also had a scuffle with Francisco Lindor among other issues and he is now being put, apparently being put on the trading block by the Mets. He still has three years of control, three years of arbitration. Going into his age 30 season came up pretty late, uh, but, but age 31, 32, 33 season. So some value there. His versatility is still there. And he's a guy, despite his down 2021 injury riddle, 2021 season, he still, for his career, has a 299, 364, 459, slash line 824 OPS 124 OPS plus in his first three seasons granted two of those seasons were 52 games and 63 games he put up a 130 OPS plus so sorry 135 actually 135 OPS plus over those three seasons so he's a guy where the talent is certainly there but I think that his last season began to draw some questions about what is his true talent level. And relatively speaking here, he had pretty small sample sizes for his first three seasons. As I mentioned, he came up late 2018, only 63 games, 133 games in 2019. He was an all-star phenomenal season, but 2020 rather short sample size. But again, you know, he hasn't really played that many games in the big leagues and he's going to his 30 season. What is Jeff McNeil? Is he the pull happy trying to hit for power guy? that we've seen over pretty much the end of 2019 into parts of 2020 and then really all of 2021, or is he that slap hitter who led the league in batting average over his first three seasons? What is he? Yeah, I think he is a example of a pure contact hitter who is trying to adapt to the major league power surge um, to kind of appeal to, you know, not necessarily the masses, but just the team's front office, I guess, um, per se, because a lot of the pure contact hitters that we see nowadays aren't exactly uh, favored uh, over or are kind of pushed to the side and favored, um, or sorry, and power guys are favored over them. We don't see a whole lot of pure contact guys um, in the game anymore. And I think McNeil is an example of one of the few that are left, but because of the MLB power surge, I think he kind of tried to develop his power tool a little bit more and that hurt his, uh, his con- ability to hit the ball really well. Now, in terms of trade, because of his last season and the small sample size that you mentioned, despite having pretty good overall stats, um, you know, within that whole sample size, um, I could see the Rays making a play for him. Um, because I know control of salary. Um, I could see the Brewers making a play just because they need an infielder, um, and he is versatile, which is another reason why the Rays might want him, just because of his versatility. He can play in the outfield. He can play all over the infield. And then I can see the Mariners also making a play for him. Um, it's just, I think it's a matter of what do the Mets want for him? And I can actually, I can see the Jays making a play for him if uh, he can play, show that he can play third or even second um, pretty well. But yeah, like I said, I think it's a matter of what do the Mets want for him? Because I think his last season in 2020 because the injuries and, and just the poor stats all around really killed his value. So if the Mets are kind of just like, well, he's got really, he's a really good player overall. It's just, he had a bad season last year and they want a pretty decently sized package for him. Uh, I, I don't see too many teams kind of 
making serious phone calls about him. I think it's more just, you know, I, I think it would just kind of be like a not so serious phone call um, if, and not much interest if the Mets are asking too much for him. But I think if the Mets can, can have a decent price uh, for McNeil, I think that would be, I think there'd be a little bit of interest in him for sure. When you look at McNeil, besides his down offensive year, if, if we look at, you know, everything else, he's still, uh, you know, a very athletic player who, as you mentioned, is very versatile, good defensively, really anywhere you put him third base can be a little bit suspect at times, but he still put up 1.4 war over those 120 games last season. And if you chart that out, let's say he plays 162 games or so, or so then he's a, he's a league average player despite his down offense. So even if Jeff McNeil is the player that he is right now, maybe he's a league average hitter at best, but he brings the defense, he brings the versatility. He is still extremely valuable and he can fill in whenever you have, let's say the Mets hold on to Jeff McNeil. They don't end up getting the value. They seek try and train him because that's probably what's going to happen because teams are going to try and, you know, pinch the Mets because McNeil's coming off of a down season when he has three years of control, those types of guys, you hold on to them. Because let's say Eduardo Escobar, who's going to be 33 years old, gets hurt for the Mets. Let's say he's their everyday second baseman. Then McNeil can step in and give you pretty much a starting level player production for that time that Escobar is down. And you can find ways to get McNeil in left field, in right field, at third base, in second base. Get him 300 or so at bats, not expose him, and and really get the full value out of him. And also keep him healthy because he has struggled with like leg injuries throughout his time in the big leagues and maybe him moving into a part-time role for your team and getting less exposed will let you accrue the maximum amount of value that you can out of him. Mike, what are your thoughts on McNeil and the Mets putting him on the block? Yeah, I, I spoke about it a few times on other Mets pods, about them possibly trading him and it being an option and that we, the team would have to give like a decent package because of how young he is. Well, like he's still in the prime. He's not like young, young, but he has the years of control and he's cheap and versatile and all the things you mentioned before. But teams are going to have to give a good offer. You mentioned them, you know, them trying to lowball the Mets. This guy for three years before this down year was like a constant 315 hitter. You know, I think he had like a 319 uh, career batting average after his first three years, especially in today's game. You don't see that. And yeah, you can see them you know, deploy him in a manner where he, you know, is bouncing all over the place. He's not like an everyday player. And Injuries do happen. I guess a good example to look at is, you know, the Yankees situation with B.J. LeMahieu in 2019. They signed him to that really, like, cheap deal, like, two years, $26 million, and he was supposed to be like, that same guy who's supposed to bounce around, not be an everyday player. And then, like, you know, he produced. He started, like, hitting. He started playing well. And an injury happened. He stepped right in and just took the job immediately back and just ran away with it. And you know how well that worked out for the Yankees. So I, I could see that happening for – a guy like McNeil, who's a very similar player, and also can play in the outfield. So there's plenty of ways for him to find playing time to rebuild his value, and then maybe the Mets trade him at, at a different time, not just in the offseason. Yeah, and for a team, the Mets, that are lacking depth, major league quality depth all around the board, trading McNeil is not really something they could be doing because who's stepping in to fill that role that, that he takes and who's going to come at that low of a cost, right? I mean, if you look at their – even though they added – Kana and they added Marte in terms of major league outfield depth. There's really nothing beyond that. And McNeil, McNeil can be that major league outfield depth. He can play left field. He can play right field pretty well. And he can also be that backup at second base to Escobar. He could be a backup at third base. Jonathan VR is probably not coming back. Robinson Cano. I mean, you can't rely on him for anything. So they're very thin and trading McNeil would make them even thinner. Yeah. And the other two guys that we think might be traded and, J.D. Davis and Dominic Smith, those guys are, I would say all of them are, have similar value. Davis might have the most of the three because he performed even last year. But, again, McNeil, I think, is going to be in the same price range, has, I think, a little bit more control than Smith. And I think overall, with his versatility and his ceiling is by far the highest. So if you're going to, you can trade Davis and slide, you know, uh, McNeil into that role. And you can take up that same playing time. I, I it's just for a player of his caliber, even after a down year, I'd rather bet on him and trade you know, like a Davis for assets and bank on McNeil like rebuilding that because there's no way you can go from hitting 319, 
three for three seasons and then they just drop off a table like that. I I just don't see that like continuing. Yeah, and again, it's just I think with McNeil, it's about keeping him healthy. It's about keeping his legs healthy, and I think that on this current roster, he fits very well in a part-time role. And for again, for his cost, that's 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 fine. That's fine. So we'll see what the Mets end up doing. But it's more it's a situation where if you trade McNeil, yeah, you might acquire a pitcher. I saw the Mets were were, were looking for a pitcher in exchange for him, but you're pretty much robbing Peter to pay Paul is what you're doing there. Because now you don't have any depth, major league bench depth, major league versatility. And then you're going to have to go out and potentially trade for more of that or, or sign more of that. So, and there's not, nothing on the major league, um, nothing on the free agent market right now. I mean, Chris Taylor is gone. The Mets weren't going to sign him anyways. Who's going to fill that role for the Mets that McNeil can fill? No one really. Yeah. Well said. All right. So, it is that time, ladies and gentlemen, our top five first baseman right now. This is the third episode of our top five right now series. And the way that we are going to go about this is we're going to take it from five down to one. We'll ring around. Everyone will say who their number five is. They'll justify it in a way. And then we'll go down. And then at the end of it, we will have a little dissertation back and forth a little discussion and we will decide who our one through five top five apt first baseman are right now so without further ado travis who is your number five first baseman right now i have pete alonso of the mets i thought that would make you happy that's not the only reason i put him on the list but i thought it might make uh, jeremy happy if i put him on um i just thought he bounced back really well um last year after having a down 2020 season you saw what he did in his rookie season uh he's young at 27 years of age um and he has pretty good overall stats in the three years he's been in the major leagues mike for me, I have Max Muncie, uh, all the qualified. You know, I mean, I guess I'll start with his war, who's tied for fourth in this war in general. That's always a good counting stat. And he provides value because, one, he's a strikeout a ton. He's just below league average, and his walk rate is way above league average at 14%, which is second among qualifying first baseman. The first being, obviously, Joey Vile. The guy just – that's, like, the best thing he does. Um, and when you look at the defense, no first baseman besides maybe Olsen. And the, the, the top, you know, seven people you can consider are really, like, standouts. Uh, but Muncie, I, I, has a, I think, has the highest of the th- uh, three somehow. I don't know how really fan metrics work defensively, but defensive value, his is negative three. Other guys, like Freeman, is negative 12.6. Goldschmidt, negative 8.2. Olsen, negative 10.5. Vladdy, negative 11.11. So he provides, I guess, the best value there. And his lastly, he's versatile. So, yes, he, I have him listed as first baseman, but he's able to play other places too, which I find uh, just gives him some added value to a theme. And for me, my number five first baseman right now is Paul Goldschmidt. <clears throat> and similar to our last couple lists, when I'm looking at this, I'm definitely – factoring in the the future you know the possible um production that they can produce and paul goldschmidt is certainly uh, i mean if we're talking about just pure value then he would be sitting maybe at the top of this list but he is going to his age 34 season and not just a couple seasons ago when he came to st louis at the age of 31 he had a down year now, nothing is really trending that way for him at this current moment. He is still, I mean, the last couple seasons, 2020, the shortened season, and then last season, he, he was absolutely phenomenal. And that's why I, I have him on this list to begin with. But if I'm looking at future value, if I'm looking at, okay, who do I want to take going into next season where I think that there's not going to be a drop-off and that they're going to put up a career year, that's just not there for me with Goldschmidt right now, similar to how I looked at Yasmani Grandal. Yeah, no, I, I get that. I just, I, the way I guess I, the disclaimer is I probably put, you know, 20% on 
the season just, just happens, like 50% or like 60% on the season's upcoming seasons, maybe like another 20% on, you know, just their resume so far. I guess that's probably my breakdown of how I value these rankings. Yeah, for sure. We'll talk about uh, Goldie a little bit later, but if we go on to number four, I actually have him at four. Um, I put a few wow. other guys in front of him. What's that? I said so now, not later. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess now. But, I mean, we'll, we'll really break it down later. But um, I, I have him at four um, just because I put a few or a couple younger guys in front of him. Um, I think he could be uh, higher up on this list. We can talk about that later. I just thought four was a good spot on my list just because I felt like he was better than Alonso, but, um, and he was pretty similar to the, to the next two, three guys, but just given his age um, compared to the, the age of the other guys, um, I felt like four was a good spot for him. It's valid for me. I had Matt Olsen. He is a guy who came up to the league and immediately showed like what crazy power he has. You guys remember that like rampage kind of went on this first year in 20, I think 18, the second half. He had like 13 home runs in like August, something stupid like that. And for me, he had finally a breakout year. I, I thought he was in the, you know, almost like a 50 home run lock during those Jewish ball years. I thought he was going to break out in 2020 before we obviously knew what happened with that season. And in 2021, he really broke out in a big way he cut down strikeouts his walk rate went up and he just became like an overall complete hitter he's still i think has some room to grow in terms of just um like you know getting his batting average a little higher but i think the home run production is legit and for me he's here because i expect him to be much of the same but the resume before that is just not as impressive as some of the guys ahead of him and but the defense he has i think is the best of the five uh that i chosen um I just don't understand how he, he was rated negative 10.5 on fan graphs. I think that defensive metrics at this point are, are kind of wishy-washy. I mean, we have no idea how to really value them. But when you look at the eye test, he's by far the best defensive first baseman, maybe even in baseball. He just He's ridiculous. And then at number four for me, I have Pete Alonzo. We, we touched on him a little bit with Travis. But just to expand on it, he has the best power in all of baseball. He has 106 home runs through his first three seasons. And one of those seasons was a 60 game season. He's a gamer. He goes out there and plays every day. 138 OPS plus for his career. Last season was probably more so what we're going to see from Alonzo. I don't know if we're going to see 53 home runs again from him, but him hitting 37 home runs to 45 home runs somewhere in that range is very likely in the 2020 season. He was on pace for something similar to that. And with Alonzo, what I like about him, number one, he is the second youngest guy that's going to be on my list. He's going to his age 27 season. So still a lot of room for growth, for improvement, just getting into his quote unquote prime. Also, he's a guy who works tenaciously on his defense. He has improved pretty much every season. He came in a guy as a guy who looked like he might not be able to even stay at first base defensively. But last season, if you watched him at all, watching him on an everyday basis, he was pretty good at first base. He was pretty solid. And of course, he'll get that, that negative value added to him because he's a first baseman and because it's a position that defense is seen as easier than other, other positions. But he is a solid first baseman, does not need to be moved from that position, does not need to be a DH. And I think he'll continue to improve there. So that's why I have him here at number four. And I have him ahead of Goldschmidt because of the age difference and because of the power that, that, that is, again, the best in baseball. So I had Olsen, uh, Matt Olsen, uh, at number three. Uh, I had him above Goldie, uh, again, like Jeremy said, because of the age difference. Uh, I know Goldie has a track record. He's, um, you know, hit really well. I just think Olsen might not um, have the track record to show. I know he's been in the league for a few years now, but, you know, he – he doesn't definitely doesn't have the track record that Goldie has um, for, for um, hitting well, but I think from what we've seen, he has the potential to match um, what Goldschmidt has done. And he's only 27. I believe he's going into his 20 year, 27 season or not year 27, but his 27 age, age 27, 27 season, yeah, um, which is pretty young. Um, 
when you take into consideration most of the first basemen in the league. Um, and when you also compare them, compare them to Goldschmidt, who's 34. Um, and, you know, Mike touched on his absolute tear that he went on uh, when he first got called up. And, you know, last year he went on an absolute tear uh, with 111 RBIs, 39 home runs, and uh, he significantly improved his plate discipline last year. Um, which is a pretty huge thing. Like he dropped his strikeout percentage from 34 point or 31.4 percent in 2020 to 16.8 in 2021. Yeah, it was like the third largest drop off, I think, of qualified batters. Like he really changed his whole approach. At three for me, I have Paul Goldschmidt. He is kind of like the most consistent right-handed first baseman it's kind of like the epitome of what you want to look at and his sheer production over the last decade now um he's he broke out in like 2009 was more of like he's like a swing and miss type of guy maybe more about what matt olsen is in general but since then he's been just an absolute monster constantly around like the 290 300 30 home runs 90 obi lock year in year out with very solid defense and even at age 34 i really expect much of the same Yep. And then for me at number three, we've, we've, again, we touched on him already, but Matt Olson coming off a, a really a monster season in 2021. Now his 2020 season, short season, the, the 2020 season for a lot of players was forgettable. Uh, but that, that does, you know, that is a 60 game stretch right there. That, that, that does count. His 2019 season uh, was probably equally impressive that this season, probably even a little more impressive than that one was stayed healthy, played 156 games and going into his age 28 season, not 27, Travis going to his age 28 nice. season. He is certainly young enough that there is room for improvement and for whatever team that he's on next season, probably won't be the A's. I expect him to be an MVP caliber player. He placed eighth in MVP voting MVP voting this season was an all-star and I expect him to continue that production. So he is at number three, just ahead of Pete Alonso for me. Here's the other funny thing, too, is I think um, if he had been traded to the Yankees prior to us doing this podcast, he might have been higher up on my list just because he's a pretty decent pull hitter. He's a lefty, and you got that short portion left field at Yankee Stadium. But anyways, nevertheless, um, number two for me is Vladdy Jr. Um, I think that might come as a shock to uh, a few people um, I have him at number two just because although last year was absolutely amazing we haven't seen something like that in a while uh, especially as a Jays fan um, but I think um, I, I want to see him do it again before I can put him at number one just because uh, who I have at number one has done this year in year out um, similar to the same he's provided similar of the same production year in, year out. And I just want to see Vlad do it one more time, just because of how rough his start in the major leagues was. Uh, for me, at third, I had you know, the, the best right-handed hitting example. For that, uh, too, is in the left-handed guy. It's Freddie Freeman. He's essentially like a very similar player to Paul Goldschmidt, but I think just a little better when it comes to offensively. Um, you know, when it comes to, like, you know, defense and, like, even, like, base running, base stealing, Goldschmidt was, you know, always a little better. But for Freddie Freeman, he just takes the cake and being, like, a premier offensive player, and he's been that ever, really, ever since he broke out into the league uh, about 11 years ago. And for me, even though he's, like, you know, 32 years old now, I think it was the age 32 season, he's currently still a free agent. He's going to sign somewhere. He's going to get a crazy contract. He's going to produce just what he does every single year. I also have Freddie Freeman at number two and he's a little bit younger than Goldschmidt. So two years younger and that matters to me. And that's why I have him further up in this list, but he's very similar to Goldschmidt in terms of his, his output per season. And I think with Freeman that to an extent, he's maybe even getting a little bit better in the, in the power department as he's going on later in his career. And that's definitely something to keep an eye out for. I mean, we're, we're talking about, his power output the last three seasons, 38 in 2019, 13 in the shortened season, and then 31 again this season. And then in terms of his OPS and batting average, I mean, his, his 2020 season was phenomenal. Only 60 games, though, but he really had a strong 
2021 season. And if I want one batter up the plate, this is the way I look at Freddie Freeman. If I want one batter up the plate to win a game out of anyone so far in this list, I want Freddie Freeman because I know there's a pretty good chance that he's going to make contact and that there's a pretty good chance as well that he's going to get on base. So that's why I have him so far up on this list. And he's, he's just a gamer as well. And uh, I expect him to continue this production for at least the next few seasons. So that is why he is number two for me. Yeah, of all the guys that we mentioned so far, his clutch rating on Fangraphs is the highest too. So exactly, yep. he's, he's, he's he's just a monster. You know, I love Freeman. Absolutely. Now I am the odd one out here. Um, spoiler. But I have Freeman number one on my list um, pretty much for the reasons that you guys just explained. Uh, clutch hitter doesn't have uh, or hasn't – I guess he does have the power that we've seen um, some of these guys have, hasn't shown it um, on a consistent basis like some of these other guys have. Um, but he has shown that he's been able to get on base uh, at a crazy rate. Um, he's got a career three, 384 – OBP and I believe since 2016 his average ha- has only fall- fallen below uh, 300 once and that was in 2019 when it was still 295 which is pretty crazy uh, decent, to do over. You know. yeah just just decent yeah but he is also uh, extremely um, reliable I would say um, he I mean in 2020 he played all 60 games 2021, he played 159 games. 2019, he played 158 games. 2018, he played 162 games. 2017, he played 117, but I believe he got hurt. And again, in 2016, he played uh, 158. So, um, I mean, he'll go out and he will hit the ball like crazy for you. He's got that, uh, you know, contact and he's got both the contact and power um, that you look for. And I believe he's got a, some decent speed. Um, in 2018, he stole 10 bags, which is pretty good. Uh, looks like he consistently steals between six to eight bags a year, which is not bad. Um, and I mean, he's got a career 138 WRC+, which is pretty respectable, I would say. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> uh, for me, at number one, it's a big surprise here, and that's going to be G-Man Choi. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, uh, Vladdy Jr., he's just, he's just the best. If it wasn't for, you know, Shohei Otani doing what he was doing, he would have been the MVP, who was in a triple crown race for most of the year, just falling short and just, um, I think, um, batting average and RBIs. Um, but we, we've known about Vladdy for, you know, this was his third year. He had some struggles coming out of the gate and a lot of us are, were thinking that he was a bust and you know, not us, but just people in general really kind of shitting on him much more than he, um, probably deserved, but he just kind of shoved that in everyone's faces this year, putting out one of the best offensive seasons for first baseman, I guess a right-handed first baseman really since prime Albert Pujols at this point. Maybe maybe Gil Cabrera's days are more a little bit more recent than that, like 2014 Cabrera, but he's just been like an absolute like monster. And I, I think that it's time that we kind of give him that credit. He led all first base in the war by like one and a half. Like he just far and above like the best first base in baseball in 2021. And I expect that to really continue next year. Vladdy's only going to his age 23 season. <clears throat> so he, he's probably going to get better from this point forward. And what really changed for Vladdy, what propelled him into probably an average player to being even better than his dad, some would say, is when he dropped all that weight, when he really changed up his, his, his dietary routine, he changed up his diet overall. That's what made him uh, be able to slim down and, I guess, just um, become a monster, become a beast. And that's what he was last season mike touched on some of these statistics but an ops over a thousand uh, i mean a batting average i mean 311 401 601 i mean that's when you draw it up on a board when you create a player in 2k and and well sorry mlb mlb the show now too i'm dating myself <laughs> but when you create a player i mean that's the kind of slash line you want 169 ops plus and 
Mike said it as well. If not for Shohei Otani, this guy would have won the MVP last season. I expect him to be competing for the MVP, to win multiple MVPs going forward, and still going into his age 23 season. That is why he is number one. Yeah, I mean, at least you didn't say like MVP baseball won those games. You know, yeah, yeah, that old. Um, but I, I just wanted to make it known too that both these goons right here somehow forgot about Vladimir Groves joining before the podcast started. So I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, yeah. So, so anyway, <laughs> now for our APT top five list. So <clears throat> the way we went about this last time, we weren't here, Mike, but. Uh, we just kind of went back and forth, give and take. You were here for the first one, so you you, you know the deal. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we'll start off with number five. So I believe we have. So the only different player here is Max Muncy. Do we want Max Muncy to be in the top five, or do we think he just wait, wait. misses out here? Wait, no. You had you had Goldschmidt, Travis had Alonzo, and I had Muncy. Five. He means yeah. on the list in general. Yeah. Oh, on the list the only in different general? player here. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's ah, not on okay. the list at all. For the only one that's not in Travis. My bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So I guess that leaves up to me to make a case for Muncy. Um. I don't know. I I see him as like a very prototypical baseball player now. Just with teams, valley guy that had like a two fifty uh, average, has a very high walk rate, and he just has like immense power. Uh, if you just really look at like his numbers over the last few years, like he's been like consistently good, and because of that, I think it's he's more than deserving of a spot. You know, even like this year, especially, I I think he was kind of in like the MVP discussion until he wound up getting hurt. Um, he's like just that good of a of, of a player, and uh, Alonzo. When you compare him and Alonzo too, I know Alonzo had obviously his monster rookie year, but he had a very slow COVID year. And then he kind of um, started off slow and picked up as the year went on this year. So just because of what Muncy did in general, I just thought he would deserve deserving a spot on this list. Well, the thing is, if we're going by that, if we're saying, oh, you know, the COVID season for Alonso was bad. I mean, it was even worse for Muncy. He was he was not great during the COVID season. And if we're looking at you know just the tools that both these players have. And, and future projections and things like that. Muncy, five years older than Alonzo, sorry, four years older than Alonzo. And if we're, you know, if we're going to bump anyone off this list, I just, I, I think it, that it, you really can't. You, it is hard not to put Alonzo in the top five just based on what he did in 2019 and, and this season. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I find it hard to fit Muncy onto this list. If we want to talk about utility players, top five utility players, then, you know, Muncy's there. But first baseman, I just don't think he he, he fits. Yeah, for me, um, it was between Muncy and Alonso for that number five spot. The reason I chose Alonso was because you have to take um, age – and projectability into consideration. And although I think Muncie's going to continue to improve, I mean, Alonso's 27 right now. Um, so he's significantly younger than Muncie. Um, and when you look at his COVID season, I know you guys talked about that. It wasn't actually that bad. I mean, he had 16 home runs and 35 RBIs. When you look at the plate discipline and everything else, it wasn't too far off from Max Muncie's. Um, the reason people said Alonso's COVID season was bad was because when you compare it to his, you know, rookie season in 2019, where he had 53 home runs for a guy to only hit 16 home runs in 60 games coming off a season like that. Um, it is a little bit of a down year, but when you put it into perspective, um, it was actually a pretty good season um, when you compare it to most guys. So um, just that and the fact that he was able to, I guess you could say, rebound from the COVID season in 2021 and put together uh, a great season in – or rebound from the COVID season in 2020 um, and put together a great season in 2021. Uh, it wasn't – you know, it wasn't a repeat of his 2019 season, but it was actually, you know, pretty close. Um, and I think when people talk about, you know – not having a repeat, but being pretty close to, you know, a breakout season. I think that's what 2021 was. And I think we can expect 
similar, if not better stats in from, you know, the 2021 season in the future for Alonso. So I'll take it. No, I'll take I it. I'm, fine. I'm cool yeah, with that. I would say Alonso is number five. I don't know if I could put him any higher. I'd agree to that. Yeah. I'd say, I'd say Alonso at five is fair. I agree as well. All right. So number four. So I had, so you had, Travis had Goldie, you had Alonzo, and I had Olsen. So we have a whole different amount of things there. You had Goldschmidt at five, I had Goldschmidt at three. So I guess we're going to take the average right there, which is four, and put in there. Yeah, I find it hard to put Goldschmidt above. I find it hard to put Goldschmidt into that top three. But he's definitely he's definitely better uh, right now, just based on the arguments that have been presented. I, I think he's better right now than Alonzo. So um, yeah, I, I think I think Goldschmidt at four is respectable. If you're okay with that, Travis. Yeah, I am. Um, I'll just say I think you can make a case for him to be number three, and I'm not arguing that I think he should be number three. I'm just saying for anybody who is listening and thinks that he should be number three, I think you can make a case for it just because he does play first base. Um, he is going into his age 34 season, but because he plays first base, um, I think he's not going to decline as quickly as, you know, some other positions. Um, I don't see him declining until his age 36 season. What about, um, I think, yeah, I think he's going to keep mashing at the rate he has been for another few seasons until he really gets old. Um, I don't see him slowing down anytime soon, but the reason I did put him at number four on my list was just because when you compare him to Olsen, who has the potential to be like, um, you know, a left-handed Paul Goldschmidt, um, I think, or is, is Goldschmidt, Gold, Goldschmidt, <laughs> <laughs> Goldschmidt what you really I, think about him, Travis. He, he's right-handed, isn't he? I, I don't think he's, yes, yes. Goldschmidt okay, is. yeah, yeah. I, I think Olsen's got the chance to be a left-handed Paul Goldschmidt. Um, we just, you know, haven't seen the volume from Olsen as we have from Goldschmidt. Um, but I mean, Olsen's got the power and if he keeps his plate discipline improvements up, I think he's going to be a, a monster and uh, his defense isn't too far off from what Goldschmidt is. And I think he can continue to, or sorry, we said Olsen's the best defensive first baseman in the league by the eye. I, I, I mean, it's my, yeah, it's my opinion, but I yeah. agree. Right. I agree. I, I would say they're pretty similar. Um, even if Goldschmidt is is better than Olsen, I would say they're pretty similar, and Olsen has the the potential to improve past them if he's not already. I I love how even when we settle for Goldschmidt four, what you've selected, you're still making a case for me. So I, I do appreciate you looking out for me there. I got you. Also, I got you. You you also made it explicitly clear that he plays first base, which I like. I, I'm I did. That... Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I saw you laughing at that one. I'm glad that our first baseman is on our first baseman. Like, it's good. Good <laughs> progress. And then I guess the rest of the way is pretty easy. Then uh, I guess just that I think Olsen three, Freeman two, Vladimir one. I think that's probably what we would have to go with. Unless Travis, you can really argue, make a case for Freeman over Vladdy still. No, I, I won't try and argue against both of you two. Um, I think uh, Vladdy should and can be um, the, the number one on our list. I really only put Freeman above him just because Freeman's got a track record. And I know for the most part of this list, I've been favoring, um, you, know, eight, uh, you, you know, younger guys with, who are less proven over older guys who are more proven. But I think when it comes to the number one spot, just for me at least, I like a little bit more, um, you know, set in stone. This is what yeah. you're getting kind of thing. Less variability, especially since Vladdy really came out of nowhere. Um, like that season came out of nowhere. We weren't expecting him to have anything close to that season. I guarantee you there was no um, ranking site or, you know, any of the <laughs> predicting, you know, the stat predicting sites that would have predicted this kind of season from Vladdy at all. Um, and also, if, if it's, you know, worth two cents saying, 
Freeman has looked to be getting better as he's gotten older, which is something you don't always see. Now, that's the reason I put Freeman at number one. I don't have a problem with putting Vladi at number one and Freeman at number two, but I don't think Freeman should go any lower than two. Yeah, he, he won't. Yeah, but no, I, I understand what you're saying. Like with Freeman, though, it's like, yeah, he, it's a track record, but he also he's also like they're still really good. He's still in the right. back end of the prime of his career. So I, I understand your point. Um, your point there, but no, Freeman is has been probably I would say over the last you know ten year stretch, he's probably been the most consistent offensive first baseman. I know there's probably been better seasons, but he just day in day out. You every single year he's giving you you know that two ninety thirty ninety thing. He's just a machine, and yeah, he is almost getting better when it comes to you know making getting consistent barrels and this you know turning those doubles into home runs now. Exactly. Well well, said, I guess well the said. last thing, I guess the last thing of Vladdy though, I, I, I if you look at my Twitter, or maybe it was the APT Twitter, I did say I was I was preaching three hundred hitter Vladdy in like February, and he wound up hitting like fifty home runs too. So I didn't see that coming, but I saw he was I, I was on board with the, him hitting a three hundred this year. I, I, I I'll take it. I could have seen. It like a, a slow progression, right? So the, the average comes first and then the, the power hidden comes later. But like I said, I don't I didn't see everything coming together um, at once. But definitely, no, you're right, Mike, for sure. Uh, yeah. All right. So there is our APT top five. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. one. Freddie Freeman two. Matt Olson three. Paul Goldschmidt four. Pete Alonzo five any closing thoughts gentlemen no nah, i'm good i'll say here no we're good all right so thanks for listening to this episode of the america's pastime podcast hope you enjoyed our third edition of our top five right now series next we will be going to top five second baseman right now so start thinking about that start putting your list together let us know what you think. Let us also know what you think about this list. I know some people certainly did that <laughs> on, on Instagram, but that's all right. You know, share your opinions. We don't care, you know, and um, you know, we'll be there to argue right back against you and we stand by our picks. So hope you enjoyed and tune in next time.